Good morning, and welcome to Jew in the City Speaks with your host, Allison Josephs, also known as Jew in the City. On the show, we like to profile different types of Orthodox Jews who are involved in something out of the box, who are somehow involved in some sort of chesed or kindness to help other people. Sometimes we take on tough issues in the community uh, to look for ways to improve things so that we're actually living up to Torah values if, if we've fallen short in some areas. And some of our shows are just plain fun um, with maybe a little bit of uh, stereotype debunking. So today's going to be a pretty fun show. Um, and the topic revolves around the Trader Joe's Parv to dairy chocolate chip fiasco that happened a couple of years ago. Um, if you are a kosher consumer, I'm imagining that you heard about this. I actually never had had Trader Joe's chocolate chips and I had not even heard um, about how amazing they were or how, uh, you know, uh, upset people were until sort of this, this thing erupted. Uh, essentially, um, the recipe did not change, but the chocolate chips were very high quality or are very high quality chocolate. Um, but they started a practice uh, in the factory where they stopped wiping down the machines in between different runs, and so the machines could not be considered um, par of anymore. Um, and so because there was an allergy issue, sort of the allergen people had to come in and relabel things. And once that happened, then the kosher people had to come in and relabel things. And once the kosher was relabeled and these par of chocolate chips um, either could not be eaten after a meat meal, which mo most people are using their chocolate chips for something Shabbos or holiday related. And for the Chabad community, the Lubavitch community, um, that uh, generally doesn't eat anything made off of dairy equipment if it's not Chalav Yisrael. So then that made the chocolate chips um, just completely um, impossible to consume at any time. And there was a crisis over this. There were people that were hoarding, you know, dozens and dozens of bags of chocolate chips, cases of chocolate chips. At one point, as all this stuff was erupting on social media, I saw somewhere that it was written that really uh, it still is part of and you really can still eat it. And so I posted this, I shared this, I thought I was being helpful. And then it turned out that this was incorrect information that really this could not be consumed after a meat meal. And someone that I know that relied on these chocolate chips for you know, the happiness in her life uh, and her Shabbos dessert recipes was really quite angry at me that I had shared false information because she did not go out to hoard the chocolate chips like everyone else did and, you know, she wasn't able to, to grab them. This story escalated to such a degree that the Wall Street Journal covered it um, two years ago in May. So um, the, the exciting thing about uh, this, uh, you know, problem in the Orthodox world is uh, we have a woman actually who solved it. We have a Hasidic woman who had nothing to do with chocolate chips except that she baked with them and she enjoyed them. She saw there was a hole uh, that needed to be filled and she stepped up to the plate to fill it. And so um, with us today from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania is Hannah Schusterman. Uh, Hannah, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much, Allison. Jew in the city. <laughs> so um, this is just such a fun story. I think like anything food-related or dessert-related just gets people so interested. They want to talk about it. They want to share it. You know, I was um, a couple months ago, we were planning a Shabbaton which, you know, handling an issue in the community that we think is very important, um, you know, some of the sort of uh, ex-Hasidic leaving and kind of feeling a place and can they stay observant. And so we posted pictures of ourselves, you know, at the cafe uh, discussing it and we thought that would be exciting. And then we posted a picture of the rugalach we were eating and the rugalach mm -hmm. on Instagram just got so many more likes than we did. Um, and it really, like, proves the point to me. I think also sort of solidifies in my mind, like, why kosher is such an important thing that, like, food is something that we really, we wake up 
and we think, what are we eating? And then we eat it and then we digest it and then we think, what are we eating next? So it's really on our minds all the time. And that's why I think, you know, the laws surrounding it are, are so essential, you know, in, in terms of guiding our lives to, you know, go into a spiritual direction. But so in this particular area, chocolate chips, you had no experience in chocolate chips except for baking with them. So when did you get started as a Trader Joe consumer? What was your past like that? So I actually have a Wall Street Journal article here. It's dated May 2012. So that would be around when oh, three years this ago became yes. This was a while ago when the Trader Joe's decided, literally within a week, the turnover from OK Parv went to OK Dairy. How long so, had you been cont- how long had you been purchasing them? How long had you been using them in your recipes? So we've been using them here for about a year or two because Trader Joe's was new to our community here. We had many friends in other cities who had been using them for a few years more. Mm-hmm. And uh, before that, I had actually been a big fan of the Walmart chocolate chips as well. There was the Sam's chocolate chips or President's Choice chocolate chips, which were very high quality. Mm-hmm. There was also a Giant Eagle brand of Parv chocolate chips. There were some really great quality vegan chocolate chips in Whole Foods. Mm-hmm. So these four national stores had all carried vegan chocolate chips for at least the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. I would bring them in for my students, and at break or recess, we'd just sample the different brands, and sometimes the ones that cost less taste better than the ones that cost more. So that was a really exciting thing to find out, you know, without having any brand names or prices. You just taste test them. And I've been doing that for many, many years. Uh, being Why would you, know, you bring in chocolate chips, like, as a treat for your students in school? We would do that, or we would just do it for fun if it was, you know, break in between class and just have, yeah, just teacher. have like an afternoon snack. And it was fascinating to, as a lesson, to not really see the brand and to taste what we felt was quality taste and not know the brand and not know the cost. And oftentimes, the Walmart ones, which cost less and had a Walmart brand, actually tasted better, you know, than some of the more higher and expensive ones. So that so you, was something that we kind of did for fun, of and we had four stores to select from. So when Walmart stopped selling them and Giant Eagle stopped selling them and Whole Foods stopped selling them and they were dairy everywhere, Trader Joe's was really the last resort. And that May 2012, several of us bought several cases thinking, okay, we'll be good for a year. And then they'll come back to Parv and no problem. So in 2013, I called around and asked, okay, so it's been a year. Are we going back to Parv now? A lot of us are waiting and we thought it would be like Duncan Hines. We thought it would be like some of the cereals who were OK Dairy, and then they went to OK Parv. Duncan Hines was OU Dairy, went back to OU Parv. We thought it would be one of those scenarios. Wait, can I ask you a question? Why do they go back? Does, does the pressure of the kosher community push these companies to go back, or do they go back for other reasons? Or It seems both. It seems that it was relatively simple to go back to non-dairy, okay. especially for the lactose intolerant community, yeah. that Duncan Hines and the cereals were a big issue there. The challenge with chocolate is that they actually wash the machines with chocolate. There's no way to actually wash them with water. So anytime wow. you're washing chocolate with chocolate for a cleanliness, and there's always that possibility that there are dairy chips in there, that's a very high risk for the... You say washing chocolate with chocolate. I think of like Willy Wonka's and like the, <laughs> the, the rivers of chocolate. That's just a nice uh, imagery right there. So, okay, so, so, there's, so they had no way to wash chocolate with chocolate and make it par of. And so when did, when did it occur to you that there was a, a need and you would be the one in a place it says in Perkiavos and the father is in a place where there's no man strive to be one in a place where there is no par of chocolate strive mm-hmm. to make it. So, 
Right. So when we saw that this was not something that they were able to accommodate, even if investors would pay for allergen testing and would pay for a mashkiach, even if all these were paid for, the company said that they cannot put a PARV symbol on it because there's such a risk of someone having an allergen, an allergic reaction. Uh, there was, in the same amount of time, there was a recently a Pepsi suit where there had been a dairy ingredient in a Pepsi, and there was a huge $40 million lawsuit. So hmm. any of the chocolate companies right now are all dairy because of the possibility of actually, in each of these kitchens, there is a possibility that dairy can be mixed with it. So that was when I realized, well, if they cannot mark PARV on any of their bags at all ever, regardless of mashkiach, regardless of allergen testing, they really cannot mark PARV, I realized, well, then we'll have to taste test several other recipes and find a PARV line that we can purchase in bulk and package in a dairy-free, nut-free facility. And we were able to do that. Thank God we've done four runs so far. We're starting our fifth run to prepare for the high holidays, the Rosh Hashanah and Sukkot season. And we've had really great response. We're in 100 stores now across the country. We're in a couple of stores in Australia. There has been a lot of requests from England and from South Africa. We, let's, really, just, let's just say, so the brand is called California Gourmet, and you say we, so you have partners in this? or? So I have a couple of brothers are investors as far as lending me money and a couple of cousins in regard to helping with design and with locating good packing plants to actually package and palletize these for distributors. So there's a group of us who've been doing this on a grassroots effort to help the community. As you said, there's really no other option to purchase dairy-free, nut-free, and we have a soy-free line as well, other than some of the brands are 5 6 $7 a bag. So in our communities where we want to buy five or six bags at a time, we literally can't afford to pay 5 or $6 per bag. We're talking you know, 30 or $35 every trip. So here we're anywhere between 349 to 389 in most retail stores, which is much more affordable. And at the 45% cocoa and the 48% cocoa lines, it's an excellent price. It's a really, really good price for a really high-quality chocolate and really airtight, fresh bags. People so have actually praised this. They actually like this better than the Trader Joe's because it tastes very fresh, very real, and very creamy and rich. And this is their go-to. This is the only brand they buy now from now on. So, we're so take us take that. us through the steps. So you waited. You you hoarded like a lot of the other people did. You got your cases <laughs> of chocolate chips. You waited a year. You prayed. You called. You and then it didn't come about. You had no background in anything entrepreneurial. Am I correct? You're a teacher by by education and and work or. Correct. I mean, I have uh, my father has some patents. He's done some inventions. You know, so we kind of grew up with. Oh, sure. Well, if that's not possible, well, let's see. What else can be possible? So we huh. were raised with the ability that just because something's not available on the shelf doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. Huh. So we I did a lot that. of research that's, that's great. <laughs> and great. looked around and tried to find a vegan, high-quality chocolate that would be well-priced. It's, it's still priced well, considering it's Belgian chocolate and it's very high cocoa. And we try to keep costs down by, you know, working in-house and going straight from the packing plant straight to distributors so we can keep the transportation costs down, try to keep some of the other costs down, and put it right on the shelf for the consumer to buy, you know, six, seven bags at a time. And we're, we have uh, this to the Catskills, and there is actually a, a promotion. There's a, a Benzies food truck that's going to Catskills every Thursday. 
So if people buy five bags at a time, they can get a rate of $15 for that. He has free delivery for $50 or more every Thursday. So even if you're in the Catskills, you can still get quality chocolate chips. Plus, there's 40 stores in New York selling it now, about another 40 stores in California selling them. Hopefully in the or fall, you are doing some shipping online so as well, right? I'm saying if someone, if someone goes to California Gourmet, is that the website, CaliforniaGourmet.com? We have CaliforniaGourmet.net. Oh, dot net. So okay. they have California. a list of oh. about 100 stores there, including Australia, Florida, everywhere. And, is yeah. there, and can someone get shipped these uh, chocolate chips if, uh, if they don't have a store nearby? So Judyson.com has a link for shipping for now. For the summer, we need special ice packs to keep it cool. And in the fall, we'll be on Amazon.com, and there will be prime shipping in the fall. So that way, there's prime two-day shipping, and that will be the quickest and the best way once the temperatures so can, are cooler. So can you walk us through, like, because I'm always fascinated, you know, just sort of um, in my starting Jew in the city, I saw there was a problem. It was a problem that really bothered me. I didn't really know even what exactly I was doing or how to do it, but I felt like, well, um, this needs to be done, and I think I will do it. And so I just started, you know, brainstorming, and I quit my job, and I, you know, I did a bunch of things to kind of make that dream a reality. What if if the the um, it was May 2012, so three years ago was when the the uh, label changed. So you waited a, about another year till about May. Mm-hmm. At what point, when you made the calls and you said, "This looks like there's no other plan or nothing else that exists." At how long did it take and sort of what was the point where you said, well, then I'll be the one to do it? Like, well, can you walk us through that process? Because I feel like for people that, you know, see problems in the world, they want to fix it. I think a big sort of thing that challenges them is how do I start? How do I take that idea, that desire that I have and actualize it into, you know, a real life change? Sure. So step by step. There was a need. This was something that had to be done. We had tried Restaurant Depot. We had tried a lot of the other brands out there, literally 15 different brands, and tasted them, and they were really not up to par. So we were patient for a year. We waited, figuring, okay, we'll get the other ones back soon. So when that was not a reality, then I did taste a number of different high-end Calibu chocolates and other brands of chocolates to see what recipe would be the best tasting and also be affordable for the kosher consumer. And then I have friends who are designers. I I actually have a tech company that I had hired uh, two designers to lay out logos and design. So those people were involved in the design of this high-quality airtight bag. It's a fresh Mm -hmm. bag. Mm -hmm. keeps the chocolate fresh. That's a big part of this. Mm -hmm. And they designed the bag. And then one one of the important steps was to balance out if we're buying 30,000 pounds at a time to see, okay, here's the cost, here's the transportation, here's the packing. Can we make this affordable? That was the biggest question. Can this so be did, affordable? Did, so did you know from the very up? beginning that if the Parv chocolate chips, did, or the chico- chocolate chips didn't come back to Parv, did you have sort of have in your mind all along, then I will solve this problem? Like, did you remember that moment when you said, I'll be the one to do this? I do remember the moment when we said, if they cannot label them Pyrev, then I will need to do that. Uh-huh. And I knew that I would have to ask five big chocolate lovers first. Okay, I'm tasting these. These taste great. Are they that much better for you that you would buy this brand, if, especially if we keep them under $4 a bag, and they're cheaper than you know the other items out there that have a lot of fillers in them, they have a lot of chemicals in them. This is pure natural chocolate. 
well, you buy this for under $4 a bag if we keep it affordable. And, yeah, the go button was pressed once we had my five chocolate tasters all taste five brands and say, okay, we like this one the best. Are these your investors, the chocolate tasters, or they're separate? Uh, most of them are either chefs or friends. Okay. Uh, as I said, Ben sees the distributors are, and his wife is a cousin who's a baker, so she's a baker. Another famous chocolate lover is the Dan's Deals guy. So Dan's Deals, Dan Ellis was my husband's student, and he really knows chocolate. He tasted 10 different brands, and he picked this one as the best. Mm-hmm. So we had a wide range of men, women, chefs, Dan's Deals people, you know, different people who really know chocolate mm-hmm. and were able to pinpoint that this is worth it to go out, start a new line, and market it for the quality that it is and the under $4 a bag that it is as well. So the combination of being very high quality and low pricing is really what we were banking on. So that's when we knew this can be successful. A lot of it's word of mouth. A lot of it's shows like yours, websites like yours. There are chef's blogs. There's Busy in Brooklyn. There's Lavana Kirschenbaum, who is a huge fan and a huge chef. So if she said it's good chocolate and her husband said it's good chocolate and her husband's very particular about chocolate, then we know that, that this is good quality. The same with the Passover line, which is our soy-free line. There was a dilemma. You know, it does cost more money. It is an extra packaging. There's a huge amount of mashkiach work. They need to be there 24-7, watching, making sure it's kosher and kosher Pesach. And, and this is very, very high-quality kosher because this is always okay kosher at all times. Mm-hmm. We're not going into a, a plant that's not kosher. This is always kosher chocolate. Mm-hmm. We're just making it certified for Passover and it's soy-free. So mm-hmm. in Chicago, in the Jewel Albertsons there, they sell it year-round as a soy-free chocolate. People who have soy allergies, Western Kosher in California, selling 90 cases at a time of soy-free chocolate. So that's even a universal. This isn't necessarily just a kosher market. There are people who have either aversions to soy or allergies to soy, and they're loving the smooth, very rich, very creamy taste. And again, at under $4 a bag, it's a really great deal. When other shelves, you can see other brands that are 5 or $6 a bag. Now onto a philosophical question, since we're you know so much about uh, the you know the stuff we love to eat. Do you mm-hmm. think that entrepreneurial spirit that you were raised with is is sort of a Jewish value that you know I see a problem and I need to fix it now? Is that somehow connected to your Judaism? Sure, I think the idea of first of all elevating what's in the world. This isn't just a luxury that oh you know we can live without it. I think there's the idea God created these things for a purpose. So we're elevating everything that's involved in it. We're making a blessing over it. We're saying a bracha on it. We're elevating everything that's been used to grow the chocolate and to create the chocolate and the machines to pack it. So there is an elevation in creating a spirituality with that when we use it for holy reasons and the energy from it and the pleasure from it. We're, we're raised to enjoy what we have here, obviously in moderation, yes, but sir. to enjoy, you know, God gave it to us and to make a blessing on it for positive reasons. So... That's a, a spiritual component as well as the idea of here's a way to assist people when they know for Rosh Hashanah, hundreds of people came over to me and said, you know, I'm making my brisket Rosh Hashanah, and I always make chocolate chip Mandelbrot. And the last two years, the only chocolate chips I found that were good quality were all dairy. There weren't vegan ones anywhere until yours came along. So they felt like they were really able to celebrate their Rosh Hashanah when they had their brisket and their chocolate chip on the bright. So the idea of enjoying the Rosh Hashanah celebration and making that holy is a great experience, and as well as just helping, you know, just helping your neighbor, helping someone who has allergies, someone who is lactose intolerant, 
almost every shelf. You go to any Ralph's, you go to any Target, all these shelves, they're all OUD, OUD. So if someone is allergic to milk and someone, you know, may have to go be hospitalized because they ingest a drop of milk, this really helps them and this really saves them. So I feel good that we've done good for the world and done good for our community and also keeping it under $6 a bag. That takes a lot of effort. And this is a way to make it affordable by really, really keeping our costs down and really promoting, you know, the high-volume purchases. So that's and, a really good way to keep it affordable and keep people being able to afford it. So the website is californiagourmet.net. They can go to judaism.com to order it online if they don't see their store on californiagourmet.net. You're running now a Facebook contest, which we're going to be running with you, that people can win. What, what can they win for, uh, for liking your page and, and you in the city? Okay, sure. So on Facebook, when they like the page and they enter the contest, there is a package, a free package prize, which is the brand-new cookbook from Daniela Silver called The Silver Platter. Excellent cookbook, excellent recipes. And along with that comes 12 free bags of chocolate chips. So they can choose any of the types. We have the regular 45% cocoa, and we have the soy-free 48% cocoa. Any combination that they would like, well, free bags of those shipped to any address that they would like. So that's going to I be... Can, I can attest for the deliciousness of uh, these chocolate chips. I, like I said, I never actually had the Trader Joe's beforehand, so I don't know what I was missing, but um, I spoke in Pittsburgh recently. I did get to sample. It's good to know friends who work in chocolate. I recommend uh, you know meeting people that do. Um, and really thank you for the service to the community. It's a little bit out of the box, but like someone had to care, someone had to do it, and that's fabulous that you were raised to see the world that it was something that, you know, if the problem was there, then you didn't have to just accept that it would have to stay broken. You could fix it. So um, head over to CaliforniaGourmet.net, Judaism.com to buy it online. Head over to uh, California Gourmet um, and Jew in the City on Facebook so you can enter the contest and sample it for yourself. And if your Shabbos table or your Yontif table has been missing, those Parv Trader Joe chocolate chips, Hannah Schusterman, a Lubavitch woman in Pittsburgh, decided to solve it. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Allison. I'm glad you like the chocolate, and they can definitely ask their store to carry it. If their store's not carrying it, they know who to contact. All their kosher distributors know how to get these, and their store can carry it wherever they are. Thank you. Okay. Thanks so much, and best of luck. Thank you so much. Have a great day. You too. And up next, we are going to introduce to you one of the members of the Jew in the City team. This rabbi, I had been a fan of his for uh, quite some time. I had seen some posts that he had written on OU.org. He had just such an amazing way of answering questions, taking difficult topics and making them understandable. Um, And, you know, he was actually the editor for Torah on the OU website. And I wanted so much for him to be part of Jew in the City. But, you know, I figured he's busy, you know, doing this as his day job. Would he ever, you know, be able to join our team? And I figured if I don't ask him, um, it's a definite no. If I do ask him, maybe it's a yes. And we're so fortunate. Uh, I guess it's been about a year and a half that Rabbi Jack Abramowitz has joined uh, the Jew in the City team. Um, he answers emails. He writes Q&As for our website, uh, responds to comments. Um, it's such a pleasure to uh, have him part of, uh, of our mission and our work. And um, thank you so much for joining us today, Rabbi Abramowitz. Well, thank you for having me. Um, so we're going to talk about a new uh, a new program you have going on at OU Torah, but kind of before we get there, I just wanted to share or sort of talk to you a little about your background. So you you didn't grow up observing, correct? No, no, I didn't. 
And so would you say, I, I see sometimes the stuff you post on Facebook, some of maybe like your atypical things that you're involved in. Do you think um, this is because of your Balchuva background, your love for comics and rock music and CrossFit? Is that, you know, where that comes from or? It's difficult for me to say what comes from my upbringing and my backgrounds because I've only had the one upbringing and background. So had I been raised in a different uh, environment, it's difficult to say where I'd be in terms of you know my my interests and my passions, et cetera. But I, I have to assume, in all likelihood, that uh, I was exposed to things growing up that I wouldn't have been exposed to had I been been raised in a different community. So I imagine that's a uh, a natural consequence. Uh, and of course, everyone, when they're on their journey, they they move a little to the right, they move a little to the left, and uh, they they find their comfort zone. And people make decisions: when I get married, do I want to move to Israel? Do I want TV in my house? You know, they 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 go through all these these uh, decision-making processes, and and everyone eventually settles on uh, on their comfort zone. Uh, I I would say we are what my uh, my wife calls modern yeshivish because the modern people look at us and they think we're totally yeshivish and the yeshivish people look at us and they think we're totally modern. So we're somewhere somewhere between those two extremes. What I think is fabulous, you know, that you've retained these different interests and things that are maybe like out of the box or, you know, not stereotypical is that it's so important to keep the the unis, you know, when you make the transition to observance that as much as your old self can fit into, you know, sort of the the rigidness of halacha, um, I think it's just so good and so healthy. Do you think, have you met people who see you? Well, first of all, can you just explain to us like what CrossFit is? Because like I see you posting about it, but I don't really know. It's like weightlifting or something, exercising? All right, well, I, I am actually sedentary by nature, and I've had uh, weight long, weight long, that's not even a word, I've had lifelong weight issues. Mm-hmm. And about three years ago at work, we had one of those biggest loser competitions. And I, uh, I, I was motivated, and I won that. And even when the competition was over, I wanted to keep going. I mean, losing 100 pounds is easy. I've done it three times. But, uh, you know, I just, I just was getting more into different forms of exercise, uh, high-intensity uh, interval training, and I was going to the gym, and I participated in the Yachad uh, half marathon uh, down in Florida uh, two years ago. So I was, I was trying to up my game, and I just discovered a local CrossFit gym. They had a Groupon, so I gave it a try. And uh, you know, they, they also do boxing there, which I enjoy. Uh, they do Muay Thai, which I, I don't participate in. But uh, I, did, I did want to get more physically active. And it is uh, both, both physically and psychologically addictive. You get into a routine, and you feel terrible if something impedes you from, uh, from going. So you know, a lot of people, they go to the gym like, oh, I've got to go to the gym. I've got to go three times this week, blah, blah, blah. You know, and you get into a routine and a habit, and it's a, it's a sense of community and uh, accomplishments. And then it just really helps. It, it refocuses your your uh, attitude towards it, which certainly makes you more likely to to do it and have success. So yeah, I'm there a whole bunch of times a week, <laughs> like almost virtually every day. Hmm. And it's interesting. This is maybe a good segue to. So you have a new thing going on at OU Torah, um, Hashana Halachos. It, it's kind of like like. It's two laws a day in terms of learning. It almost seems like a schedule for Torah study like CrossFit is for exercise. Is that like a, a reasonable par- um, parallel to make? Or am yeah, I that's, that's a great parallel. I've, I've done this with a number of 
different uh, works. Uh, it started years ago with Nach Yomi, Nach being the, the second two sections of the Bible. So there's the Torah and Nevi'im Ksuvim, and Nevi'im Ksuvim are the books of the prophets and the writings. And we started a program. We didn't, we didn't invent the concept of Nach Yomi, but we certainly popularized it uh, of, of a chapter of Bible a day, which we would have someone give a lecture, I would write a synopsis, and this past year we started sending it out via email, not just on the website. And we have thousands of people who have studied books of the Bible that would never occur to them to, to pick up. How many people say, yeah, I think I'll pick up the, the book of Yechezkel, Ezekiel. You know, it's just, most people don't think about it. But by going through a cycle, it certainly uh, enables people. They're, they're on a, uh, a schedule doing it with other people, and there's a, a time frame, and, and it just becomes part of their routine. And I get emails from people. They, they completed books of the Bible, they never thought they would learn, they understand them better. If, even if they have studied them, they appreciate the, the lectures and the texts that we've given them. So from there, I started doing other projects. We did Taryag, which were the 613 mitzvahs, according to the, the Sefer mitzvahs of the Rambam. Uh, so that was a, a series that ran for almost two years, because there's 613 mitzvahs. And we're just wrapping up our first Hashona Halacha series, which was on the Kitzvah Shulchan Aruch, and that took about four years. So the new program is Hashanah Halachas 2. That's going to be doing the Mishnah Torah of the Rambam, also known as the, the Yad Chazaka, the strong mm. hand. You know, I think when you say, like, you're sedentary by nature, like, that just speaks to me so much. Like, <laughs> I just, you know, most of my time, I just, like, work off of my laptop on the couch, and whenever my kids see me, like, you know, actually dressed and looking normal for pickup after school, they're like, where did you go today, Mom? You had a meeting. So, um, I, you know, I, even though, thank God, I think I've accomplished a lot or I, I work hard. I'm also find myself to be so lazy at the same time. So um, just in terms of like getting motivated to get something done, like learning, like you have this ideal, you want to lose the weight or be, you know, in shape, you want to get through different parts of the Torah, but just sort of that, you know, natural inclination to like not do it. <laughs> it's just so strong, right. I think, in a and, lot of us. So so and, how and much are they that, learning that a day? motivation to keep going. You're, you're with a group, you've got a goal, it's an achievable goal. It's not just I'm going to do something every day, unbridled, forever. There's, there's no discipline in that. And by having it parsed out like that, it, it's certainly much easier for a lot of people to complete works that they never thought they would. So if they do two halachos a day in Mishnah Torah for this new Hashanah halachos program, how long will this cycle take to get through? This is a long one. This is the long haul. It's, uh, <laughs> well, the, the Kitzur Shulchan Aruch is a fairly small book. If you go to the store, you could get a one-volume, a two-volume. Uh, the standard Hebrew-English that, uh, that I had when I was a kid was, was uh, four volumes. But this, however you break it up, it's not that big a book. The, uh, the Rambam's Mishnah Torah is called the Yad Chazaka, as I mentioned. Yad mm-hmm. is 14 in, in uh, Hebrew because yeah. it's 14 volumes. So it doesn't come in a 14, well, I guess it could come in a 14-volume set, but an average set of Mishnah Torah would be five or six volumes. But uh, still, it's a considerably larger work. And at the rate of, we figured this out, at the rate of two halachas a day, it's going to take uh, 20 years, six months, and a couple of days. Uh, so, <laughs> so I'm going to hope to go ahead of schedule in writing it, because what I'm doing is I'm, I'm paraphrasing. I'm basically translating the text of the Rambam, but I'm not translating literally word for word. I'm doing it more in the vernacular as I tend to do. So it's just to make it a more readable experience. So I'm hoping to go ahead of schedule a lot and have those up on the OU Torah website so that those who perhaps want to do it a little bit faster will have that option on the website. 
But so the, uh, we're, we're just about out of time now, but so if you could just tell our listeners, how can they get started in this? Oh, they can uh, visit www.outorah.org. And uh, if they want to subscribe, then there's a, a link at the bottom of the page, uh, lowest, lowest right-hand corner. It says sign up for the Shabbat Shalom newsletter and more. Just click on that, and Hashanah Halachas will be one of the options among the and more. Excellent. Okay, I guess ultimately I wasn't sure how you two guests connected, but this is really a show about like getting up and doing and not being afraid to you know move forward with those challenges. Thank you so much for joining us today, Rabbi Bromwitz. Thank you so much for listening. We are actually going on a brief hiatus now for the summer, but uh, stay tuned for our upcoming shows in a few weeks from now. Bye-bye.